I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious beyond our ability of imagination. We pray that, Lord, you would remind us this and every day of our status as your loved sons and daughters. And now may these words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word of God before us this morning is our gospel reading from Mark, I'm sorry, from Luke chapter 12. I want to kind of just highlight a couple of verses for you. If you want to turn in your worship folder there, you can follow along. Uh, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or your body, what you'll put on. A little bit later, he says, if God so clothes the grass which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Find that last little phrase. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dear fellow redeemed, love has a way of reordering your world. Love has a way of turning priorities upside down, inside out, changing everything. Let me give you a couple of examples. First example is my own parents. Uh, my dad and mom, dad particularly, used to love to tell the story of how they met, fell in love, got married, and how life was changed afterwards. Because you see, dad was older than mom. Dad was 38 when mom, and mom was 23 when they got married. She was almost 24. And dad had been a bachelor pastor for 12 years before he met mom and got married. They were set up on a blind date, a, a Lutheran school teacher and a Lutheran pastor hooked up together. And now when bachelors, you do certain things that only bachelors can get away with, right? For example, when you're using a toothpick, you know, after the meal and you're kind of cleaning everything out and you're done, what does a bachelor do with a toothpick? Just kind of flick it anywhere. And wherever it is, well, you'll get it next time you clean the house, right? Well, Dad would love to tell the story that he did that once <laughs> after he and Mom were married. Love has a way of reordering your world. Or a true story of Julie and myself we were married 11 years before God blessed us with our first child with Sarah. And we had gotten a phone call on a Friday morning. Well, I did. Julie was at school teaching. I got a phone call on a Friday morning saying that a birth mother had chosen us to be the adoptive parents for her, at that point, one-week-old baby girl. And that was a Friday. The following Tuesday, we'd be able to drive four hours to the foster parents and see her for the first time. And we were so excited, right? And I vividly remember that Tuesday, driving four hours, halfway through the trip, we stopped in a little town in Minnesota called Faribault, and went into the gas station, went to use the restroom, and I have no belt on. <laughs> and all of the excitement of that day, 
I forgot to put a belt on my khakis. I'm like, who on earth does this? You know, you, you're trained as a little kid. Wear a belt with those pants. You don't want to have those pants falling down, right? And the whole joy of that day just kind of slipped. And go back a couple of days on that Friday when we found out we had a wedding rehearsal that night, and we still talk about this to this day, that um, we sat there in this member's garage, that's where the wedding rehearsal dinner was, and we ignored everybody around us. And we just sat there and talked about, like, wow, this is really cool. God's blessing us with a kid. This is wonderful. How is life going to change? Are we ready? Blah, blah, blah. Right? You see, love reorders your world. What you once thought was a priority no longer is, even though it's forgetting to put a belt on before you go. What you once thought was really important fades when you begin to see what real love is all about. I want you to keep that in mind this morning because as we enter into God's word today, there is a chance that we could fall into an unfortunate trap. An unfortunate trap of looking at this section of God's word and rolling it up and inadvertently using it as a club to beat each other over the head. Because Jesus said, don't be anxious, right? Jesus said, what do you got? A problem here? You got no faith? And we begin to kind of scrunch down. Now there is some very sharp law here that we need to be aware of and confess to because it reveals our lives apart from God in Christ. You see, when Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, we have to confess that we so many times treasure the wrong things. Get this, we often do treasure worry. That might sound like, what on earth are you talking about? But let's look at it. The first week or first day of school is in three days for our school, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but there's probably some of us excited. Kids are going back to school. But there's also probably some of us who are a bit nervous. It's a whole new setting. Maybe you're heading from grade school to high school. Maybe you're going from high school to college. Maybe you you don't know. Maybe if you're a brand new teacher, you kind of wonder, like, what's this all going to be like? And we begin to feel comfortable with that worry. And if we're not worrying, we're worried we're not worrying. Number two is that we sometimes treasure fear. Again, that sounds so contrary to fact, but aren't we often very comfortable when we're a little worried, a little afraid, a little nervous? Because we've been there so many times before. Because we just don't know, and so we think there ought to be a little bit of an appropriate amount of fear about not knowing what's ahead. 
In fact, even Jesus says in verse 33 that, you know, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and so forth. And so there can become those moments where we even treasure what we even do, our own works. We want people to look at us and say, now there is an ideal Christian. There is a person who loves and believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of all. There is an example to follow. And we treasure that status of hey, everyone's looking at me. And all those things are the wrong treasure. Instead, here's the good news. God gives. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you. Now, mark that word, give. It's not earn. It's not attain to. It is not uh, be deserving of. It is simply give. No strings attached. So let's take a look at this. God gives. Worrying is for the birds. Pun intended there, by the way. Worrying can take flight and leave because God is always going to be the God who gives. And fear? Oh, God gives. We, we have his kingdom. God has said of us and continues to say that we belong to him, that his son, Jesus Christ, died and rose again for us, and that in Christ, we have that standing before God. In fact, God gives so much that his supply is never going to run out. God isn't going to say of us, I ran out of supplies, I'm sorry, come back in a week. God isn't going to say, I ran out of giving encouragement and strength, good luck trying to work it out on your own. No, God's always supplying. But you know, maybe, maybe there's something still troubling us about this text. I mean, come along with me back here in Luke 12. Let's take a look at some of these verses again. They're so powerful, okay? Verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Okay, verse 23, life is more than food. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither store else nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Aren't you more valuable? What are you worrying? Or verse 25. Can you be anxious and add even an hour to your life? Of course not. Or verse 27. Look at the lilies. Yet not even Solomon, all of his glory, was arrayed like one of these. Verse 28, if God so clothes the grass which is alive today, tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? (sighs) What about? What about those moments when the anxiety and its attendant other things like depression 
What about when those things are so difficult that there is medication involved? Is that a sign of a weak faith? Is that a sign of not trusting God enough? Before I answer, let me tell you a story, a true story of a man I met over 20 years ago. He was not a member of our congregation in Minnesota, our first congregation, um, but he was someone connected to someone within our congregation. And our elders had asked me, come and visit him, try and encourage him to come. He was attending a non-denominational church in our little town. And so I visited him and a friend a couple of times and invited them to come to our Wednesday evening Bible study, and, which they were coming a few times. And it was late winter. It was uh, mid to late February. And this one Wednesday night, he comes in with a, a severe limp. Obviously, something had happened. And he was a logger by profession, and it was prime time for felling trees in Minnesota. It's late winter, and they would cut down these big, massive oak trees, and they'd be milled for beautiful homes. And I asked him what happened. He told a story about a tree not falling the way that he thought it was going to fall. And the tree obviously fell toward him and, and nearly crushed his foot. And I just kind of, just by instinct, reacted and go, oh my goodness, you know, are you okay? Did you go to the doctor? What did the doctor do? And he looked at me and he said, oh, pastor, I don't need to go to a doctor. I believe God can heal me. I have prayed for him a number of times over the years. I, I have no idea what his life has been like. But he was setting himself up for a, a huge failure. Because without, with using the right language, I believe God can heal me, he was making it all about him. Now, you and I, we would probably not look down upon anyone from going to the doctor when a foot's been crushed and you're in a lot of pain. We wouldn't look down on anybody for doing that. But then why is it that sometimes we can look at people who suffer higher levels of anxiety and go, well, can't you just get over it? I did. What's the matter with you? Don't you believe enough? You know, we have to recognize that anxiety, whatever level it is that we experience, anxiety is a product of the fallen world we live in. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they didn't know anything about anxiety until they ate of the fruit of the tree and they heard the rustle of leaves and suddenly were afraid. However, anxiety is eased. Where is it that this fallen world meets its match? 
where is it that this fallen world is undone? Where is it where every aspect of the nature of life that we have this side of heaven, where is it that all of that meets its end? But at the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that for the child of God who suffers with anxiety to a level of understanding that there's an imbalance of chemicals within the brain, that it taking medication is absolutely a wonderful act of faith. Faith that God in Christ is taking care of them. Faith that God in Christ is providing the answer. Because it's not about them. It's not about any of us in the anxious moments that we have because we also intersect our anxiety at the cross of Jesus who treasures us above all things. For you will remember Love has a way of reordering our world. When we recognize the deep, profound, magnificent, almighty power of God's love, anxiety begins to fade away with medication, without medication. For it's all about Jesus. The Savior and Redeemer who provides everything for us. Who provides the, the wisdom and skill of doctors. Who provides the wisdom and skill of friends. Of family members who who encourage us, who remind us that Jesus provides everything. My prayer for you is that each and every one of us can continue to grow and marvel in this great, wonderful love of God as God's love for us reorders our lives in his love. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.